My experience with business people is they prepare, but they prepare often in their head. They think through what they want to say. They don't actually say it out loud. And so taking an acting class gets you into the habit of preparing out loud what you want to say, because if you don't prepare out loud what you want to say before you say it in front of your client or your audience that you're presenting to, basically what they're seeing is your rehearsal. They're not actually seeing the performance and we want the people to see the performance. My name is Carol Lempert. I help executives supercharge their executive presence. And I want you to steal my strategy. You're listening to Steal My Strategy, the show where we talk to smart people who invite you to copy, review, and remix practical ideas you can apply to life and business. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Just based on the way you delivered those lines, I can tell that you are a professional. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Very well done. Very well done. And your background is fascinating. I know you are an actor and playwright. And I don't even know if I know the difference between an actor and playwright. So educate me, Carol. Tell us about your background and what you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. So a playwright, as might be clear in the title, writes plays. And so I have written three solo shows that have appeared off-Broadway, and I've written them for myself so that I had some material to perform. When I entered my early 40s, the number of roles that were available to me to audition for as an actress got quite thin. And I thought if I want to still be a creative person and share my point of view and my stories and my talents with an audience, then I can start to create my own work. And this was almost in parallel with the rise of the internet, with what you're doing right now, you're creating your own content and you're creating your own content to share your thoughts and your ideas and your talents with an audience that might be interested. So the same thing for an actor and an actress. Impressive. I trained as an actress. I have my undergraduate degree as an actress. I went back to school to get my master's degree as a writer. I have a little bit of a background as a dramaturge as well. Um, And how it came to be that I work with financial advisors and others executives is really this moment where my brother handed me a second career on a silver platter. I didn't even realize that it was happening. So I teach storytelling. So I'll tell it to you by way of the story, how it happened. I get a phone call one day from my brother. His name is Sheldon. And he's like, sis, get over here. I'm like, okay. So I hop in my car, I drive over and I get there. I'm like, what's going on? It seemed urgent. And he points and his best friend is in the washroom throwing up. And I'm like, Sheldon, this sounds like a 911 situation. I do not know why you called me over. So I come to find out that his buddy, who has just graduated college seven months ago and has his first you know, big boy job, if you will, he's seven months into this job and he has been asked to give a presentation to his boss's boss about the current project that he's working on. And he's having a full on panic attack, which is why he's in the washroom throwing up, doesn't know what to do, figures he'll go to his best friend, my brother. But my brother works in construction, so he doesn't know about giving presentations to the boss's boss. He's like, but my sister's an actress. She can help. (laughs) So I came over and I said, I don't know anything about this business that you need to talk about, but I certainly know how to get ready for an audition. So tell me what you need to present. And I rehearsed him the way I would rehearse for an audition. And he went into work that next Tuesday and he did his presentation and it all went well. And I'm like, okay, I did a favor for my brother. Three weeks later, I get a phone call from a guy I don't know. And he says, hi, I got your name from Lance. That's my brother's buddy. He's now a high potential at work. Can you do the same for me? And I didn't even know how to price it. I didn't even know learning and development in these big companies was a thing. So I worked with this guy and I discovered this was a thing. And I took two years off of my acting career to go back to school to be trained as an adult educator. 
And so for the last 20 some odd years, I've been having a foot in both camps as an actor, as a writer, and both of the worlds that I travel in, the skills are transferable and it's a very project-based life. So if I do a play, it might last three months, it might last six months, and then I've got time to come back. If I go and do a keynote speech, I'm there for a day or two days at a conference. If I'm working with someone doing coaching, it might be a six-week commitment. We work every Sunday for six weeks. So I like this idea of having a project base. I like beginnings, but I also like endings. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's an amazing thing your brother did for you. Yes. And I know you're very good at it. And actually, that's why you're here, because financial advisors, and by the way, myself included, want to have a better executive presence. We want to be better speakers. And, and doing so in a persuasive, meaningful, authentic way is very mm-hmm. important to our businesses. So first of all, Carol, I don't even know where to begin, but I know you do. So tell me, I am concerned about improving the quality of my executive presence, of the way I speak on camera, in person. I'm not completely comfortable. Where do I begin? Well, so when I run my workshops and I teach this whole concept of executive presence, which I've distilled from the skills that actors use to have stage and screen presence, there's four dimensions. And the first dimension is actually in the word itself, presence. So the core word of presence is to be present, to be in the moment. So as an advisor, especially if you are in front of a customer, you need to be able to be focused 100% on the customer and really listening deeply and curious about what their experience is. Because no matter what solution you might provide to them, unless you speak to them in language they can understand, they're not going to be so interested necessarily to give over their wealth to you. You have to build trust. So that piece probably is already obvious to a planner that they have to build trust, but that trust and being in the moment with the person that you're in is the first piece. The second dimension is what do people see? What do they see when they look at you? And I don't 100% mean what I'm right now. I happen to be wearing a red shirt. I'm five feet tall. I got curly hair. I'm wearing glasses. It's a little bit about what I mean about presence. And certainly we want to be dressed accordingly to represent the level of customer that we're going to talk to. But when I'm talking about executive presence and this dimension of what do people see, what I really mean is do they see that you are comfortable in your own skin? that you're showing up in this really authentic kind of way and that you're projecting the signals of confidence. So even if someone is feeling nervous about talking to a new customer for the very first time, that nervousness can be part of their authenticity. But if they try to pretend that they're not nervous, they think <laughs> it's kind of like stiff, yeah. fakey, I'm being all professional, but I'm like, where's the person in there? You know, right. So I see that you're comfortable in your skin. The next dimension is what do people hear? And this is the part of executive presence that doesn't seem obvious at the get-go. We think of presence as someone, you know, if I say I'm an actor, you visualize me on the stage or in front of the camera, that it's a very performative kind of thing. And when we're talking about executive presence, it's not performative, it's relationship building, that I'm able to motivate you, I'm able to inspire you, I'm able to build trust between the two of us. So that really is the dimension of what do people hear when they're in conversation with you? Do they sense that you are deeply listening to what it is you have to say? Or do you sense that they're just waiting for your lips to stop moving so they can get in their important point or their main solution that they might want to pitch to you? I hope that's not how you feel about our discussion right now. No. You know that's not what I'm doing. Oh, no, right? thank you. Do, do, I, do I seem present? Do I seem really present? You do actually seem very present. Okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the two questions you've asked me so far organically are coming out of what you've heard me say and what you've researched. So you prepared what you've researched ahead of time before we met. So you'd have at least 
the right pool to be swimming in, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We'd understand that it is about acting, it's about being creative, it's about this theatricality. So thank you for asking, and yes, 100%. Okay, good. I'm trying to learn as we go here. The fourth dimension, which I think is on line with what you were just asking me, the fourth dimension is what do people feel? And I don't mean what do they feel about you. Often in these big corporations, they will do these 360 feedback tools and you get a lot of feedback about how your colleagues and how your boss and your boss's boss and your customers, what they think about you. Now, I'm not disregarding those tools. I think that they can be very powerful and you can get a lot of information, but they don't measure what I'm talking about with this fourth dimension of executive presence. And the fourth dimension is what do people feel about themselves after they've had an interaction with you? Do they feel better? Like, oh, I got to talk to Robert today. He really educated me on something that I didn't know before. I feel smarter. Therefore, I feel Rob is a great guy because he helped me feel smarter. And that's the actor's job. The actor's job is to leave the audience, leaving the theater transformed in some kind of way. Either it's a musical and it's really happy and people go out singing and dancing, or it's something very thought provoking and they leave the theater feeling like, whoa, if I take the lesson of what that story was about and apply it to my life, I can be a better human being in the world. I feel better about myself. So those are the four dimensions of presence as I would share them with your listeners. Yeah, that's excellent. And you know, I really love the fourth point, especially because when people feel something, that's when they remember it. That's also when they're motivated to act on it. And so many times, especially when you're an analytical thinker and you're focused on merely what is said or the knowledge that is conveyed, but you leave out the feeling component, you miss a very important dimension in getting the right behavior and the relationship building qualities there that need to be there. I agree with that. And if I think about your listeners, so if I think about a financial planner, it doesn't mean that you always have to be sunshine and roses. So you may actually sometimes want to have your client feel a little anxiety. For example, if they have not invested in disability insurance and you know that they're 60 years old and that that could be risky for them in the future, you want them to feel a little nervousness, a little fear, a little anxiety about that. So that when you explain to them, if they work with you and that you can provide the solution, they'll feel reassured that they are in the right hands. Mm -hmm. So earlier we were talking about how can you be more persuasive and thinking about the emotional journey you want to bring somebody on is part of being persuasive and also showing up with good presence. Yeah. So those four dimensions, I'd like to actually dig into them a little bit more because I know there is a way to practice those things to get to the point where you are being fully present, where you are looking the right way, saying the right things and conveying the right feelings or or evoking the right feelings in others. So let's just take the first one, for example. So being truly present, what does that involve? Yeah, what I'm going to say is a one-word answer, and it has a big ripple out from the word. It means breathing. It means you take a deep breath so that you're physically in your body and you feel the sensations of your own being, and that I'm not thinking ahead to the next client appointment that I have or I'm not ruminating on the client appointment that I had yesterday that didn't go well, and I might miss out on that opportunity. So when I take a full deep breath and I feel my chest expanding and I feel my body settling into my own skin, that is one of the ways that helps keep you in the actual moment. And so often when I'm working with clients or I'm running sessions, we'll do some deep breathing exercises and they'll have the experience of after five deep breaths, And I'll say, what sensations do you feel in your body? They're like, oh my God, I feel so much more relaxed. Well, if Mm -hmm. you feel more relaxed, you will look more comfortable in your skin. Therefore, the definition of presence is you look more comfortable in your skin, your presence goes up. 
Sometimes yeah. they'll say, wow, I feel much more alert. You know, it's two o'clock. I just had pasta for lunch. I was feeling a little brain fog. I was feeling a little sleepy. Well, if you're not a hundred percent present, you're not going to be able to hear fully what I am about to tell you. Mm-hmm. So that impacts all of the other dimensions. So breathing is the first thing and relieving tension in your body is the first thing. And then the second thing is being aware not to be multitasking. I think one of the things that has suffered as we've transitioned to having to have client appointments virtually rather than in person, I'm looking at you through my computer screen right now, and I could see quite easily that I have an email that just came in. So if I go and check that email in the middle of this podcast, how much of a good podcast are we going to have? Yeah. So turn off your notifications. Stop having your phone buzzing every 10 seconds, alerting you to pay attention, pay attention to that rather than paying attention to what's actually happening in the moment. Those are my two high-level pieces of advice around that. Yeah, it's great advice. And it is harder with Zoom and all the distractions. This actually applies to video, too, I'm sure. A lot of advisors are trying to produce video. So this is an exercise you probably should do before you go on camera at all, right? Very much so. And with video, I think one of the things that is, maybe we're 16 months into the pandemic, some people may have figured it out, But the thing that is counterintuitive on video is looking into the eye of where the camera is. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking into the eye, right? It's a green dot. Right now I'm Mm -hmm. looking at the green dot as I'm having a conversation with you. But Mm -hmm. we're often tempted to look at the face of the person. So if I'm looking at the face of the person, I I don't know if the podcast is visual as well or people are only listening. But for those of you listening, my eye line has gone down to the middle of my monitor. And so I'm looking toward you, but I'm not looking at you. And Mm -hmm. this is a skill that we were not born with. Like as children, we learn how to make eye contact with our parents. That's the first one. After we learn to swallow and eat, we learn to make eye contact with our parents. This is a technical skill that people need to practice. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I, techniques that I share with people to be able to practice is you already have this skill. You just don't realize that you have this skill. If you know how to drive, you know how to split your focus. So you know how to keep your eyes on the road. And you mm-hmm. also know to look at the passenger when you're having a conversation <laughs> and then look at the, keep on your eyes on the road and look at the passenger. So I have a hack. I have a little hack on my computer. I have this little post-it that says, look here. And I yeah. have it stuck right to where the computer dot uh-huh. is, my little green dot. So I know that that's where I should be looking all the time. So that's yeah. one thing that can help. The other thing is to get your lighting right. If the mm-hmm. lighting is not good, then... The thing with all of us showing up on Zoom in this virtual world in the last 16 months or so is everybody knows what good screen looks like because we all grew up watching television. So we're comparing what you look like on Zoom to what I'm about to go look at tonight when I watch my Netflix special. So that means that we have to get familiar with and comfortable with all of that other technical element so that the lighting is accurate, that you've got a good microphone, that you're looking into the camera, that your background isn't cluttered with your laundry. All of those elements that you would do if you were shooting a commercial or a film or a television show, we need to start to thinking about building into our home offices. So that was the other piece that I would add. Yeah, that's a pretty high standard now you've set, Carol. I'm going to start thinking whether I look as good as my favorite Netflix series. Your lighting is good. You could have a hit of color. That's right, yeah. You could have a hit of color. Good, so thank you. So I have some things to apply. So we have this piece about presence, right? You also mentioned how you look, what people hear, and how they feel. And if I didn't phrase those exactly right, I apologize. But tell me, after just being truly present and being common in the moment, what would you say is the way to affect those other things? What are some recommendations you have? 
in terms of what do people hear and how to increase the impact of what people feel? Yeah, what I think there's really four different dimensions and maybe I'm blending a couple of them together, but what you say, yep. what they hear, yep. are we talking about the same thing or are those two different okay, things? okay. So let's do a, an exercise right now. So Robert, put your hands up and let me see all five fingers. And now put your first finger and your thumb together, make the okay sign. And then take this little open spot where the okay sign is. And I want you to move this little spot to your cheek. So move that spot to your cheek. Ah, so you hesitated. You're like, so for those of you listening that can't see, I actually moved my hand to my chin when I was saying, move it to the cheek. Robert's very good listener. He was able to move it to his cheek and not to his chin. So what I was just demonstrating there was when what people see and what they hear are not in alignment, you're sending a mixed message. When Mm -hmm. you send a mixed message, it's harder for people to trust you and it's harder for people to stay with you with whatever it is you're talking about. So here's the work application of when we sometimes send a mixed message and sabotage ourselves without realizing that we're sending a mixed message. I'm so excited about the new marketing initiative. I'm really hoping that you'll see that this data that I brought to the meeting on slide 17 will, right? So it's all monotone. Yeah. Yeah. It's very dry and boring. And as financial planners and financial advisors, we are often reviewing numbers with our clients. Numbers are important, but unless the client also is a CFO, sometimes they're overwhelming and even scary. And so this monotone place that we get into, if you start with, I'm so excited, then you're incongruent. You're saying you're excited, but we don't see any excitement. So there needs to be alignment between these two dimensions. What people hear has to be in alignment with what they see. Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing, actually, every time I see a virtual presentation, especially if there's a series of them, like a webinar or something like that, usually in the beginning, people are a little bit nervous when it's first starting. But they'll often say, I'm really excited to be here. But it comes from a place of nervousness. Yeah. And it's not authentic. And that's often one of the first things they'll say, I'm excited to be here. But you don't hear the excitement. So that's a really good example. And, you know, when advisors have moved so much of their business online, meeting with clients, they have to try to make that excitement come through. Do you find that it's important to even turn up the volume, as it were, when you're on camera or audio only versus what you might do in person? Well, not turn up the actual volume because now we're talking about the energy with which you might experience my facial expression and my body language separate from my voice. So the reason I say don't turn up the actual volume Mm -hmm. is in the virtual world, your microphone helps you quite a bit. So if I turn up the volume because I want to tell you how excited I am right now, you know, I'm probably blowing your ears out (laughs) because my microphone is two inches away from my mouth. Well, that sounded a lot like a Lucille Ball impression. Yes, yeah, so there we go. <laughs> there we go. So for me, it's not as much turning up the volume as it is turning on the switch that I am here to be of service and I'm interested in meeting the person that I'm going to talk to. And my mindset is that at the end of this conversation, I'm going to know something that I didn't know going in and it'll be enjoyable for me and I hope it will be enjoyable for you. So that mindset switch is enough mm-hmm. to kind of kick you into being present and kick you being into having facial expression that is warm, that you're smiling, that you're making some gestures, mm-hmm. and you're uh, pulling someone into your topic. Yeah. So much of what you've said so far is about mindset. And I know early on, you mentioned too, that one of the things that really helps when you're communicating is telling stories. And you, you started out with a story, actually, which yeah. was very engaging. <laughs> Where does that factor into executive presence and having an impact on people? How do stories weave into all of this? So if you put all four of these dimensions together, being in the moment, looking like you are comfortable in your skin, 
listening deeply and building relationship and having the other person feel better at the end, stories weave all four of those things together. And one of the magic things about using stories when you're selling or building relationship is at the end of the story, if you connect the dots back to what you learned, what I learned from that experience of that story was, and then you connect it to the person or the audience that you're talking to. And the reason I told you that story is then they feel good about themselves. So there's that dimension. And when you tell stories, people pay attention. So not only are you in the moment, because you're in the moment of telling the story, that the other person suddenly is in the moment, their mind likely isn't drifting because people find stories really interesting and fascinating. So you can be more expressive than you can be if you're just doing dry charts and numbers. You're building relationship. You're getting people to be present with you. And then they feel good at the end. So that pulls all of those things together. Yeah. I love what you're saying. I completely agree with it. I have to admit that telling stories is hard for me. I'm more of a get to the point sort of person. Okay. I've noticed that one of your recommendations for people is they should take acting classes. You know, and I, sometimes I struggle with that because I don't want to get into a long story. I feel like I'm almost going too far. But help me with that. Like, where does my mindset need to change or what could I do to help overcome that? Well, one of the reasons that I recommend that everyone should take an acting class at least once in their life has to do with building the muscle of empathy. And anyone who is in a business development business, empathy and perspective shift is really important. You have to get into the mind of your potential client and the mind of your customer. So for your listeners out there, I think that that's one of the biggest important things. For other people, it can help them overcome their stage fright just by practicing getting up in front of human beings again and again and again. We have systematic desensitization, so we're not as nervous the hundredth time that we've done it as the very first time that we've done it. So anyone that has any social anxiety, generalized anxiety, performance anxiety, it's very powerful for that. Mm. Practicing preparing, actors rehearse before they do the performance. My experience with business people is they prepare but they prepare often in their head. They think through what they want to say. They don't actually say it out loud. And so taking an acting class gets you into the habit of preparing out loud what you want to say. Because if you don't prepare out loud what you want to say before you say it in front of your client or your audience that you're presenting to, basically what they're seeing is your rehearsal. They're not actually seeing the performance. And we want the people to see the performance. So I think that there's that important piece. But I am more intrigued by the fact that you're like, oh, I don't typically tell stories. So I am going to offer a moment for you to have us help you come up with a story that you could potentially tell. And I'm curious if you'd be open to wanting to go through that exercise. Oh, I think so. If you think others would benefit from the exercise as well. Okay. So what might be a message that you need to share either with a colleague, a team, or a potential client? I would like my colleague, client, or team to understand X idea, what would X idea be? That they'll get better results from their marketing efforts if they get away from their fear and they do something that's bolder and breaks the status quo instead of trying to copycat what other people do that looks like it's conventional and would be effective. Okay, thank you very much. That's a really important message. It sounds like what this whole podcast is about, actually. So you're, you're living the message. So if I was working with you one-on-one, and we wanted to get you ready to give a presentation and really make that message pithy by adding a story to it. I would ask you, when in your own life did you copy other people because you thought that that was the way to be successful and it actually backfired? So my question for you now is from the ages of 10 years old to yesterday, mm-hmm. when in your own life were you copycatting? Because you're like, oh, I guess yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. But it felt all weird and fake and it actually didn't work for you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. 
one of my first companies that I started. I thought it should look like other companies in the space. So I gave it a brand that sounded and looked like it should, like I thought it should. Mm-hmm. But as a result, it just blended into the background and it didn't really get a lot of attention. It didn't get noticed. So I I named my company actually very similar to one of the biggest competitors in the space ah. and uh, ended up just kind of looking like a copycat, basically. And that company kind of just chugged along and didn't grow as fast as you wanted or you had to fold it and start a new company? What was the end result of the copycat choice? It grew and I sold it, but it grew about 10% of the rate of my current company. Ah, okay. So (laughs) in comparison to when you did Snappy Kraken and you're like, I want it to be fun and I want it to be more my own personality. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of a story that you could potentially tell, Mm -hmm. which would be around differentiation is the thing that makes you unique. And the thing that makes you unique makes you authentic. The thing that makes you authentic has people trust you more. And so I learned that the hard way because. So that potentially could be a story that you could tell to make that Mm -hmm. particular kind of point. That's excellent. So let me me recap the exercise you just taught us because others can use this too. So you started with what is the lesson you want to teach? Yep. And then you asked for an example from my background when I faced or learned that lesson, a time when I learned it the hard way because I didn't do it in a time where I did it right and benefited. And then that weaves into a story that I can tell. Yes. Make my point. Listening. Yeah. In terms of the skill of what do people hear and that you're building good relationship with me, that dimension of your presence is very strong. That is exactly accurate. I'll fine-tune one thing, though. What you want to think about first is what's the message, not what's the lesson. What's the Mm. message I need to communicate? Yes. So I might need to communicate a message around being more open-minded to change. Mm -hmm. I might need to communicate a message around doing something uncomfortable in the short term will help you in the long term, which is basically Mm -hmm. the lesson of put money in your savings account, right? (laughs) Instead of going out to dinner. Mm -hmm. So we think about the message first. Then you ask yourself, when in my life did I learn that lesson of that message? And we want to pick a time where you weren't successful. And that's very strategic. We don't want to tell the time that I was the best because Mm -hmm. then the other person is not going to feel good about themselves. We want to tell the time of when I fumbled and I learned something and I'm sharing this wisdom with you so that you don't make the same mistake. And when we are not the incredible hero of our story, that we're the one that fumbled a little bit, it builds humility and then it deepens relationship with the other person. Yeah, and that's counterintuitive, but what an important point. So when you tell stories, if you tell stories that are somewhat self-deprecating, you give other people the opportunity to be the hero. Exactly. Yeah, that's excellent. Now, you know, Carol, a lot of what we've been talking about so far is when you're already in a position to speak with someone, to engage with someone, you're already on stage or you're already on video, or you're already somehow connected. But I noticed you did something at the beginning of this podcast when you said, and excuse me if I don't get the verbiage quite right, but you said, I help executives supercharge their executive presence. I think that's what you said. That is what I said. Okay. So that was interesting because it was one sentence. It was intriguing to me. It made me want to learn more. Now, that's a door opener. So how did you come up with that? How can advisors do the same thing? I know it's not just an elevator pitch. That's not what it was, but it was very effective. It's along the lines of thinking about what your elevator pitch or what I prefer to refer to as your value proposition statement might be. So I'll walk you through a moment where I helped a financial advisor 
create their elevator, their networking statement, their elevator pitch, their value proposition statement, and make it more personal and land more intriguingly on their audience. So I asked, it was a man, I asked him, how do you typically introduce yourself? And here's what he said to me. I have 15 plus years of experience working with high net worth individuals with endowments and with foundations providing investment management services. I also offer a full suite of wealth management, trust and estate services and banking solutions. Plus, I'm skilled at implementing portfolio reoptimization for clients with asset allocation targets according to investment strategies with a focus on risk management. And well, I'm running the that, other way here, Carol. Yeah. That's that scared well, me that's away. What <laughs> and that came from the marketing language that came from the company that said, here's what you're supposed to say. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, that is very clear to me that you work with high net worth individuals and that you offer these services, but you sound like every single financial planner on the planet, everybody. If I go to any bank, if I go to any company that will help me manage my money, that is what they also do. What is unique and special about you? And so I started asking questions like, what do you like about your job? What did you want to be when you grew up? Did you always know that you wanted to go into banking? Were you somebody that had some other kinds of interests? What was your best subject in school? All the things that make us unique. And so what I learned about him is that he loves detective stories and that when he was a kid, he read all the Hardy Boys mysteries and he loved Sherlock Holmes and that what he loves about his job is solving problems. And that's how he thinks about his job. So here's what we then came up with for him. I have been a private banker for over 15 years, but when I was a kid, what I wanted to be was Sherlock Holmes. I loved solving mysteries and problems. It turned out as a private banker, I actually get to do that every day for people like you. I take time to carefully figure out what's going on in a person's portfolio, and then I investigate how to help them achieve their personal financial goals as quickly as possible. And I'd love to do that for you. So now- Memorable. Right. It's Sherlock Holmes. He's solving problems and he's solving problems that are my problems. That's the person that I want to have a relationship with, not the first person. And so how I came to I Supercharge Executive Presence was, what is it that I think about that is most helpful to executives that I work with and that I make this compare that lots of people do presentation skills training. Lots of people even do executive presence training. I look at it through the lens of what an actor understands that can be helpful to people in business. And that's my superpower. And so that's how I got to supercharge. And then I make it clear up front that how I do that is through this unique perspective that I started as an actress and that I do this work now with executives. So those are the questions that can help people really fine tune their elevator pitch and make it unique to them. Well, you're obviously an expert at it, Carol. If advisors wanted to work with you, you said the work you do. So helping them to have more presence, helping them to nail down their networking statements, things like that. Is that the type of thing you do one-on-one or do you only do it speaking and on podcasts and things like that? Oh, thank you for asking about that. I do it one-on-one. I do it in small groups. I do it to large audiences. I was just chatting with your colleague, Kyle, before we started the podcast. Do you like doing your acting work more? Or do you like this other work more? And my answer to him was, I like variety. I like starting projects. I like ending projects. And so I very much like working one-on-one, but I'm an actor. So I also like to perform. So I like to have work in front of a lot of people as well. So wherever anybody is at, and uh, often organizations will bring me in to work with groups of people. And sometimes people just on their own will seek me out and I'll do some one-on-one work with them also. 
Okay, good to know. Thank you. And I've learned a lot from you today, by the way. So thank you for sharing your insight. I appreciate that. We've got a a story you can put in your back pocket now too. I do. I'm going to have to work on it a little bit, but I definitely think you taught me something about how I can be a better storyteller. And I appreciate that. My pleasure. I'm glad that was helpful. Well, Carol, I know we're almost out of time. Let's wrap up with maybe you can just reflect on some of the ways you've helped executives do this or some of the things we've talked about today. You know, this podcast is called Steal My Strategy. So we want to leave people with your best strategy. So if you had to leave us with one thing that we should apply that would help us to turbocharge our executive presence, what would it be? If you are somebody that is working in a corporate environment and you attend a lot of meetings, turn your camera on. The first dimension of executive presence is what do people see? And if they cannot see you, 25% of your presence is out the window. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is if you already are having your camera on, listen really deeply to the word choice of the person that you're talking to. For example, if they say to you, I'm really thinking about doing something, instead of saying, you know, I'm really feeling I should do something, the person that uses the word, I'm really thinking about something, you're going to want to give them a lot more logical argument. The person Mm. that says, you know, I'm feeling maybe I need to do, you're going to need an emotional hook. People choose words to reflect their inner values and their inner blueprint, their inner thinking, their inner narrative. And if you listen deeply to what their word choice is and reflect that word choice back to them, you will resonate with them at the same frequency and trust will go up and your presence will go up as well. Mm. So when you hear two people butting heads and one is saying, I think, and the other is saying, I feel, they're clearly on different frequencies. (laughs) And that's part of the problem. Often that is exactly the problem. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, that that's a great couple of application points out of this. And there's a lot more. I just want to say again, thank you so much. It has been an absolute delight. And I hope we'll get to talk again in the future. Thank you for inviting me on. Very nice to meet your community. 